0: It's the Paddlewoo Podcast. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Paddlewoo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Antonsen. Today's guest on the show is Werner Nigler. Werner is the shaper for JP Australia, and I got to circle up with him last week in the Bahamas at the JP Dealer Convention. So, first, I'd like to say a huge thanks to. JP, Gary Menk, uh, Werner, Pete Cabrera um, for having us down and showing us an incredible time. It was a ton of fun. Got to get my hand in kiting for the first time, which was uh, absolutely insane. Super fun. It's going to be my salvation here now living in Florida. So I'll be on the water paddling anytime there's waves and anytime there is wind, I will be trying not to kill myself <laughs> learning to kite, uh, which I think is possible. Actually, <laughs> um, I've liked JP paddle boards for a long time. Actually, the first performance paddle board that I bought was the 8027, which I ha- sold and then bought again because I missed it. And I like it so much. It's a great board for bigger days in Costa Rica on the reef and smaller days, you get a lot of glide and carry. I was not as big of a fan of the 7427. I did ride that board for a while, and then the first 7627 felt very similar to the 8027, um, and actually ended up selling the first generation of the 7627 and kept. So when I repurchased the 8027, but now have gotten my hands on the new 7627, which is a bit of a different shape and. I think it's the best uh, pro model JP that I've ridden. Uh, outside of being able to ride some of Kiahi's boards while I was in Hawaii, but those the volume is much less. Some of those, some of his boards, uh, his custom boards are a bit thinned out, and you know, even on like the 8O, you're underwater a little bit at 175, 180 pounds. But from a production standpoint, the that new 7627 is a great board. Um, so I was down in the Bahamas circling up with, uh, with the JP guys, and got to sit down with Werner and ask him some questions about his boards, understand his methodology behind shaping, what he's brought to paddle surfing from the windsurf side, because he is a renowned shaper in the windsurfing world, and, you know, just get to sit with a shaper who is uh, approaching paddle surfing from a little different place, and so it was a good conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Blue Zone Sup. We are now starting to book up the 2017 fall, 2018 season. I've uh, got some big things that are coming out pretty soon as far as announcements go about that season. So uh, stay tuned for that. You should be hearing about those in the next month. And shoot us an email, uh, Eric erik, at progressionproject.com for, uh, information about the upcoming season of retreats. It's going to be fun. Get your name in there early before, uh, before we announce it. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for dealing with me on this long break that I've taken. We had some unef- unexpected family things pop up. You've probably read about that on the site. If you haven't feel free to go to the site and you can read about that, but we are now landing, settling, loving our new life in Florida. It's beautiful It's going to present some very cool opportunities that I didn't see coming before that wouldn't have come if I was just living down in Costa Rica, just surfing my brains out all the time. Um, But I'm still going to be doing a lot of that too. So, All right, guys, enjoy the conversation with Werner from JP Australia and reach out if you need anything. Thank you. Thank you very much for being on the Paddlehoo Podcast. How are you today?
1: All right, thanks.
0: Yeah. So we are down here right now in the Bahamas at the JP Dealer meeting, uh, and you guys are showcasing the new 2018 line. So it's been really cool to be a part of this. I have not been a part of a dealer expo like this or gotten a first glimpse at new boards. Uh, and then also getting to sit in on your uh, stand-up presentation and getting some of the basis of behind your shapes, and that's what I thought would make a great podcast today is hearing from you the rationale behind the shapes of especially your pro models, because most of the guys that are going to be listening to this will be on the pro models or on the slate models. It probably won't extend much past that, so uh, thanks for being here, and um, thanks for taking your time. All right. Yeah, man. Let's, uh, let's start with your background in shaping, because um, I don't know any of it.
1: Yeah. yeah, I come from the windsurfing side. I've been a uh, World Cup rider at the time when I was younger. Oh, I started before. I was doing the Olympic class first, and then I went into Fun boards. Uh, I was working for F2. I was sponsored by F2 and got involved in all the development programs. Uh, and at the beginning, I started working with a Shaper so that uh, I saw how it all works. And then I just uh, got, got the job offered by F2, being in charge of the whole product development. And then I just started shaping myself. Oh, almost 30 years ago. Okay. So, uh, And then, you know, I was there right from the beginning. I did kind of all kind of different trends, you know, long boards, short boards, the whole start. And I was also lucky to be involved always with the best riders in the world. At have two times we had Dunker back on the team. And then when we all changed to JP, you know, with Jason and now all the top riders we're sponsoring, it's always also great to work with the best riders in the world, and on the sub side, obviously, when we started, we also, (coughs) almost right from the beginning, had Kiai and some other top riders on the team. They always got good feedback, and then that's how it all happened.
0: Let's talk about that feedback loop. Mm -hmm. What is your design process? What iterations do boards go through?
1: Uh, Yeah, first of all, we always need to kind of figure out the two, two different sides of it obviously, the production side and the team rider pro models they use for, for their own, for their events, you know, because they sometimes use sizes we can't put in production because they're just too radical. Uh, but for production side, we kind of always figure out with our sales team and our marketing team which direction we want to go, what sizes and line, and then we start figuring out, okay, this this more or less the rough sizes, dimensions we want to go for. Then we build a prototype, we start testing. Depending on the model, we get different people involved. Obviously, for the pro models, our pro riders, they test it. Uh, but also, big advantage is because KI and the guys, they always a step ahead. You know, I constantly work with them. So, whenever there's time for a production board, I have a design ready and they're just adjusted to the size. Mm-hmm. But... But every, all this knowledge we gain from, from their boards, I also try to convert into the normal production line. Yeah. But the key feed, the, the key part is definitely the feedback from the pro riders. And I also try to, to get on the water with them, also on the windsurfing side, because obviously I don't ride sunsets, so I can't really judge these boards, but, uh, normal waves, I, you know, I also be out there with them, and, and then I can, it's easier for me to understand what they're really saying, because sometimes their language is a bit hard to translate into bortisan.
0: Right. That is interesting when you're kind of an innate uh, learner, when, when, when you have an innate understanding of a sport, it is very difficult to communicate that knowledge. And I find that, like, I, I coach paddle surfing and. Some of the guys that are now working with me to coach are incredible paddle surfers. And the process, they understand everything. The process for me in the last year or two has been getting them to be able to communicate what they know so that they can help folks who are down trying to learn with us. And so I assume it's very similar in the shaping world. Do you have a, a process to try to figure out what...
1: Yeah, you know, we have have a big team, also in the windsurfing, uh, and you quickly figure out which people you can work with and which people are not. It doesn't judge their ability, how good they are or whatever, but some people just struggle to communicate the the important parts, you know, they're having a good day, it's the best board in the world, and then the next day the conditions are different or they're having a bad day, and then they complain about the equipment all the time. So it's hard to work with guys like this, but... Uh, as I said, you know, you figure out quickly who is reasonable and takes its time to figure out what's working and what not and then it's much easier to get somewhere. You know, also with like KI on the sub side, man, I tell you we, we did different boards just the nose rock a little bit more a little bit less, you know, because we wanted more drive or less so that it's more radical and we're changing small dimensions you know, small numbers and it makes a huge difference for such a guy you know who's on such a level.
0: I got mad at you guys about that because I had your 8027 and the 8027 is a very good board Um, and then bought the 7427 and I bought it basically because of one video that he had where he's surfing a small wave and everything looks good Mm. and then for about two months after I bought it I was like I can't draw those lines and I started watching the video back and then and then it was a different nose rocker on the board. And then talking to him, he's like, oh, yeah, that wasn't exactly the same board. But it said the 24, 7 4, twenty-seven on it. And so I kind of gave him a little bit of crap about it. But I understand in the design process that you can't release every board
1: that he's uh, riding. Yeah. And also, you know, there's deadlines. And you need to stay with the uh, shape as well because, you know, we have to invest in mold and everything. Yeah. And it takes a long time until it hits the market. You know, when we put it in production, okay, the molds are ready within a couple of months. But then... By the time we produce numbers and fill containers and orders, by the time it reaches the market, it takes a long time. Yep. So, it's, what is it's, that time frame? It depends on the, on the order side. You know, if like if kind of I put the boards in production at the beginning of the year, and uh, like three four months later, if a container would go with already existing molds and stuff, they could easily make enough to fill to add these new boards up. But if they don't order a container only in September, so they're only going to get it nine months later. Gotcha. So it's, it's always a bit depends on the order schedule of the countries.
0: All right, let's get technical on boards a little bit. I have a first question. Your fin design is different from anybody else's on the market with the straight trailer fins, the side mm-hmm. fins. Can you talk through why you do that? I'm not sure that I fully understand
1: yeah, we had this big discussion also in the Australian market for a while, but then, funny enough, one of our Australian dealers, I think, uh, did some science on it. He kind of did underwater uh, videos. Mm-hmm. And on sapping, you also need more speed than surfing because surfing, you kind of create more speed with the smaller boards. And sapping is like more like windsurfing. You pedal into trying to create speed and the straight fins they have a lot less drag. There's no turbulences at the tail, nothing. So that was very interesting report from that guy. He had that, he filmed it underwater, and you could see when he kind of go in the straight, there's no turbulences, so no drag. So that's, that's going to give you that. more down-the-line speed, more but then in the turns, line.
0: that's going to hinder a little bit, or no?
1: No, nah, the stops are pretty big, so it's not, uh, it doesn't hinder at all. No. You just have the right fin sizes on it, and, you know, it's... Just seems to be faster, and that's what the guys wanted. Gotcha. So faster. Yeah. So the straight
0: fins equals faster, and then there shouldn't be much of a difference in a turn. I guess it's not pulling out. Just I guess the difference would be maybe a little bit bigger fin because it could pull out of the water just a touch quicker without the cant.
1: No. Yeah. It's it's they're parallel to the center line of the fin, but they have a little bit. Okay, they are a little bit off because the board has a small V towards the tail. Okay, so depending where it starts, some go a little bit off, but the you know, a sub is so big it's really hard to release the fin Mm -hmm. when in the turn. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So we just do size up and then surfing. You know, the small surfboards they go totally different angles Mm -hmm. and uh, perform different, so it's probably closer. Size-wise, it's more similar to the windsurf board, if you think about it. Yep. And you also have the paddle, which you can use to, to turn or mm-hmm. push, make the turns tighter. It's yep. almost like the, the rig. So you could really make use of the extra speed you have, and you just use the paddle or your, your ability to turn as tight as you can. Gotcha.
0: Okay, so now you're old, and I don't know the year models on this, so you might need to fill me in. Your old 7.427 and then 7.627. I felt they pushed water a little bit and maybe were designed in heavier surf. I liked both of those boards more in a heavier barreling type of wave when speed wasn't a concern versus a mushy beach break where I felt like those boards were really tough to find that sweet spot Mm. to get going. Now, in your new 7.6, which I just got, um, Gary Mank hooked it up a few weeks ago and I've gotten to ride it a handful of times, it feels like that board is Faster, have you changed rocker profile between you, those?
1: You know, after so many boats, I don't know all the changes, but it could be that we uh, went that direction. That was we were talking about the different nose rockers at the beginning. Yep. You know, maybe that was the, the time when we straightened it a little bit again to make it faster. It was obviously the, the smallest sizes were made for bigger waves, yeah. Uh, And because people were very... When we first came out, there were very few people who were able to write these small boards. And now, you know, the level rises, so more people get get on them and uh, probably fine-tune them a bit. And uh, I'm not, you know... I I have to look up on the files to to tell you exactly (laughs) the changes, but I don't have it all in my head. It's like doing 200 boards a year. (laughs) It's just not that easy to remember everything you want.
0: It seems like the differences to me were... It felt different on entry rocker and speed. It has a little bit more glide to where the older 7.4 and 7.6, I couldn't really ever find a trim spot where I could kind of just post up and highline away if I kind of always had to we, be moving. Yeah,
1: we, we, we opened up the V a little bit at the tail. That was, and then we played around with the nose rocker. The, the concave in the midsection always did the same, but then we played those around with the tail. Yep. It wasn't the first generation a bit more pinion, the second one a bit more squashy tail. That, I don't know.
0: I haven't been able to ever see the board side by that's, side yeah, because
1: I right. bought the 7.6, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: wrote it for a few months, mm-hmm. and then I liked the, the, the 8.027 so much that I sold the 7.6 and bought another 8.0 because mm-hmm. the 8.0 would work in a lot of surf boards yeah, when it was really good, big. Uh,
1: um, around,
0: yeah. Let's talk about the decision to switch. And now I haven't seen the 2018 line. Have you gone back in the smaller surf sizes? Have you gone back to the longboard fin box in the 7.2 and 7.6 and 8.0, or is it the FCS plugs in back? the back?
1: They stay with the FCS. Only the two biggest sizes, but they don't. I'm not sure How if come? they take it in the US market. How,
0: what was the decision there to go to the FCS plugs versus the, the
1: longboard fin box? This, the fins are so small, you use at the tail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can still choose a position because we have three plaques, so it's not just one one position. and even the riders said, you know, that's fine and they have less drag, a smaller box, it's lighter. Okay. So, and the strength is no issue because the fins are so small anyway.
0: Yeah. And then those the new boards are coming, even the smaller sizes come with a quad fin setup, I think.
1: Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, let's talk about. evolution on where you see this sport going how close are we right now to like if you look at surf uh, shortboard surfing in surf in shortboard surfing we are i mean if you look at boards from 10 years ago to today unless you're an expert you're not really going to see a difference but if you look at stand-up boards from 10 years ago to today it's a massive difference where are we in that evolution curve right now in stand-up how close to okay this is going to be the normal shape
1: yeah i think we're <clears throat> getting pretty close because they're all on a high level and uh, we have already quite a few generations in the different ranges of uses because you must always look at the people using it you know on the entry level we optimized the intermediate and the cruising downwind and everything racing uh, and, and surf you know that it's, it's a was a big development cycle already so we i think we're performing on a pretty high level but you can never say it reaches the end because then a new trend comes up. Uh, You know, like windsurfing, one of a sudden the boards become super short and super wide and they work and have big Mm -hmm. benefits for certain groups. And in subs, probably the same. You know, in racing, there's always, you know, especially on the high performance level in racing, small changes make a huge difference. Unbelievable. And the guys are so uh, riding on such a high level and so fast. They're so strong. So two or three percent, you know, on a two hour race. It's huge. Yep. So it's all relative. But I think for for the intermediate recreational people, the boards are very well-balanced and easy to use and uh, I think perform pretty well. You don't think that there's going to be another kind of monumental shift
0: and in inflection point in design coming? You think we're pretty close?
1: Yeah, as I said, it, you can never say there's an end to it because one of a sudden, you know, if we could predict new trends, it would be easy. But you yeah. can't. You know, one of a sudden, we try something out, or we, we test something, or sometimes it happens by accident. Or see, someone has an idea. Okay, let's try this, and this could be the revolution. You know, that's how it's how everything. All all major trends came up by surprise. You know, you can't plan them. How often do you try something radical that's completely new with the guys? You know, every year, we try something totally different. You know, yeah. it's... As I said at the beginning, you know, there's times where we can play mm-hmm. and we do crazy stuff and then we have to stop and then we say, okay, now we have to come up with a product. So whatever we learn from there, we try to put into something which works or which makes sense. But every, every, also what doesn't work, you learn a lot because at least you know it doesn't work.
0: <laughs> so what are some of the craziest things that you guys have tried?
1: Um, you know, all weird dimensions and super short, super wide, and, and uh, round, totally round bottoms on race boards and stuff. So, you know, you build a board, you try to get on it, you can't even get on it, because <laughs> it's so tippy, you know? And you know, okay, that was too far.
0: Um, have you played around with step rails much? I mean, one of the yeah. large 11-foot boards that you guys have out there has the step rail.
1: Fusion line has it, all the fusion, the long boards. Have you, you thought know? about
0: doing that on your surf line? Why? Why would it be a good idea or not be a good idea?
1: It's so small, thin anyway. The rail, you know, the, the step rail. We do on the bigger boards because you want a, a more flat section on the deck, so it's better for balance. Yep. But if you bring uh, the flat section so far out, you would end up with a fat rail. That's what you don't want. Right. So then you bring it down a bit. But the surf, the surf shapes are so thin anyway. So it wouldn't make much sense to make a little step because you don't gain much.
0: I did some prototype boards last year. I love experimenting with things. Um, and I did a step rail, a shorter board with a buddy of mine, Kirk McGinty. And we did a, it was a 610-26, 82 liter, um, super, super stepped rail. And so, so the idea was to be able to get the rails in the water. And what I found is that Bottom turning was pretty good, but when you would go for like a like a, a pretty heavy cutback, as that step rail would enter the water, the buoyancy would then push it back out, and so you'd get like two thirds of the way through a beautiful turn, and then the board would pop out, and you'd slip for a second before it would catch again, and so then we went more towards a like a dome deck with with shorter rails, with with thinner like, thinner rails. Um, do you think that the dome deck is going to be a big part of the future of stand-up? Getting the
1: rails even thinner than they are now, does it matter? Uh, you know, it's, it's a big board, first of all, and too thin. Uh, you, you sink the rail too much in the bottom berm. It's the same. Also, we know we that from windsurfing, you know, if you go too thin, mm-hmm. you dig the rail in too deep and you kind of, if you don't have incredible amounts of speed, you kind of slow down because it digs in too deep. Yeah. So it also is like a ratio be, between uh, rail size and speed, you're going down the wave or turning, because if, if that doesn't line up, you know, with the weight you're carrying and everything, it just doesn't work. You just sink the rail and, be, and it doesn't perform. It slows you down. Gotcha. So you also need a certain buoyancy to stay on top and, and create the speed you want.
0: And is that, that ratio as a factor of speed? And windsurfers or travel, what's a, what's a good speed for a windsurfer?
1: Oh, we're going pretty fast. On, on the fa- face of a wave, you probably go, I don't know, in, mile, in knots, we go close to 40 kilometers an hour, for sure. Wow. It's pretty fast. So a little bit faster than paddle surfing. Yeah, for sure. A little yeah. faster. And if they go in big waves, jaws, they go even faster. You know? And we also don't go stupid on the rail because it's too critical. Even if you like hit the chop or something, and there's such a thin rail, the rail bites immediately. Mm-hmm. And then you're out of control. It's nothing you can do. you know you go over the falls. Gotcha. Um,
0: one thing yes. I've always liked about your boards, at least your pro model boards, is that nose flip because it allows you the, the heavy nose rocker that you guys put right at the beginning. I feel like that adds probably four liters of perceived float. Like I don't think all volume is created equal and that nose rocker, as long as you have a little bit of forward velocity, pulls the board back up on top of the water. Um, and gives you a little bit of extra stability. So I like that design element that you, guys, that you guys bring in there. Was that on purpose for stability in paddling? Was that on purpose for, for paddling?
1: No, the, yeah, stability is always a key, but uh, the high-performance board, we look at high performance because the guys are on such a good level uh, you know, they go smaller and smaller, so they just can handle the boards. Yep. On the recreational boards, we look a lot more to stability, but for the pro riders, they want to go off on the waves. You know, they don't want, they don't particularly look for stability, because they know what they're doing.
0: Yeah, uh, and that's I've had some interesting conversations with Kiai about that, because he is one of about three guys uh, at that level that ride, equal weight to volume or even a little bit plus because most of the guys are about minus 10 now yeah, wait crazy. wait yeah. yeah and you're sinking to about your thighs mm-hmm. and he likes to be on top of the water it's kind of like right where I like to mm-hmm. be too and so I feel that in that regard his boards are more relevant his performance level and him on those boards are more relevant to most ordinary folks because mm-hmm. there's a big difference between paddling equal weight-to-volume ratio and then dropping another 10%. I mean, that gets very difficult. So, But it's
1: also as uh, on the, for the competitive competition level. Uh, if you're sinking, you have to move permanently. And yep. it's so much harder to find the right wave or get there. And uh, the risk you take is pretty high because you, if you're not there where you want to be, you're not going to get the wave. That's yep. it. And in windsurfing, we had the same. You know, like... We went to the cycle, everyone went smaller, smaller, smaller. Okay, when you're riding keep on your own, you're the king, because you have the smallest board if you get out. But in competition, you know, don't go anywhere, because mm-hmm. the guys with the big boards, they float around, get to the wave where they want to be and take all the good waves. That's it. So, that's also a very smart move from Keahi that he doesn't go so small, because it's, he realized also, you know, for competition, it's not going to help him. Gotcha. Um
0: Let's talk about the surf slate real quick before we wrap up and then go back out on the water and, and do fun stuff. What uh, It's new this year. It looks a lot different. You have pulled in the tail a little bit. What was the rationale behind the design changes?
1: You know, when that concept came out, you know, it was new, interested people who like uh, it had its benefits, you know, this parallel outline where you can just accelerate down the, the wave uh, and kind of a new style of riding and this skatey feel and everything and for marginal condition it was a fun board to ride but then we realized okay we we want to widen the range of use more and with such a parallel outline you kind of a bit limited that's why we started working on narrow nose and tail and the, the board is, uh, is a lot more versatile now and that's what we're looking for that they can also use it in like even the the good that the pro riders for competition in in marginal conditions. Yeah. Yep.
0: What's the smallest size that you're making that in this year? Here, there's like a
1: what is that a seven four over there? I think. Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you asked me not too quick. I'm not sure. It so, <laughs> it's pretty small, so. Yeah. So I think seven two even. 7.2? two. by twenty six maybe. Yeah.
0: If I can make a request, I hmm. would like to see a seven four twenty six. So. or 7526. something like that, maybe yeah. around the 85, 87. Made, the,
1: the, 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 the sizes went a little bit know, to make up for the loss of volume. We, yep. we stretched them out a little bit, the sizes, so the well, board is now a, a fun, short board. It takes a bit bigger waves than the old version, uh-huh. and it still works in smaller ones, so it's, uh, it's a big step forward. But it's always, if a new concept comes on the market, you know, you have as I said, you have to, come up with a product at a time. You know, we could continue working for two years, but then we never have a product. So, yep. and then second generation, then it's not a is huge th- step forward because you kind of have two years to work on them after you put the first one in, so it's, gotcha. it's, it's a fun board. Yeah.
0: What do you think about the foiling pad trend?
1: For supping. For supping, yeah. Yeah, I'm not so sure because it's it's probably not that easy and it's, it's very hard. dangerous. That's what uh, what worries me the most. Yeah. If you rock up, you know, if you rock up in the lineup with the sub, you're not uh, on most spots. You know, the, the other surfers are not very happy. And if you rock up with a foil, I think you get even more in trouble. And if you get worked with this huge thing, you know, tumbled. I don't want to be in the white water when I go to fall with the foil. So, but it, it's a new factor. It's fun, you know. It, it opens up new opportunities or gives attention to the sport it's great you know every new thing is, is fantastic you know we learn so much out of every aspect what's happening in the sport and it will come in a in a format which works for for normal people as well i'm sure
0: are we going to see in the near future your pro model boards being um foil ready
1: yeah, we probably offer something with additional boxes. You know, that just as you slide it because it's on the foil. It's very easy. Just put the extra box in, yep. or like US boxes where you can slide the blade. It's not like on windsurfing where you need a super strong box. So it's just probably will come up with something.
0: Awesome. Uh, any last thoughts for us? This has been a good window into the JP design. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, anything you want to you can always get in touch with me if you want further information so no problem yeah. So I hope everyone has a lot of fun on the water gets out a lot of time that's always a big problem that we find enough time to have fun on the water but, yeah, but we also need the waves but as long as we're out there it's great yeah. nice. all right Werner all
0: thank right. you very much for your time no I appreciate worries. it let's go have some fun it's the paddle podcast